Good morning. So as Sue said, my name is Naomi and I'll re- be reading our Bible passages for us this morning. So the first one comes from Jonah, chapter 1, verses 1 to 17. Um, you can follow on the screen behind me. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed to Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us, so that we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them, and they asked, What have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord, because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, What should we do to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to the land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And we're going to go to Romans um, chapter 5, verses 6 to 8. So chapter, um, chapter 5, verses 6. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. If you do have your Bible, open to Jonah chapter 1. And uh, we'll unpack this intense, confusing, uh, strange, short book of the Bible. If I was to ask you and say, what do you think, um, when I say the word Jonah... What's the first thing that comes into your head? And you can just yell it at me. Jonah? Newsboys. Oh, okay. I didn't, I didn't think that. You've, you've haven't, you haven't gone the way I hoped. But that's just like the story of Jonah, isn't it? Because Jonah didn't go the way God hoped. Um, what else do you think when I say the word Jonah? Whale, fish? Rebellion? Yes. God's mercy. If you go to the go to the Christian bookshop and you um, search for Jonah in the kids section, every single book has a fish on the cover, except one. Every single book is a fish. 
or a whale, if I say to you on the basis of that information, what do you think Jonah's about? You would probably say, it's about a man and a fish. And it does make a good illustration. I was saying to Dave before, the fish moment is just incredible. But it's only two out of the 48 verses in the whole book. Someone has said that people have looked so hard at the great fish that they have failed to see the great God. And isn't it true that familiarity breeds contempt? Or in this case, uh, the bits and pieces of the story get lost in the one thing. Because there is a fish, and Jonah ends up in the fish, but there's more going on than a fish. I'd summarize the entire book, not with a fish, but by saying God is filled with more mercy and is far more missional than his people are. And that's the book of Jonah. And we're going to see that over and over again in four weeks. Because Jonah is a great person to have a conversation with today. It's about the struggle that we have with the God we're confronted with in the Bible. How his ways don't often square with our ways, especially when it comes to the issues of mercy and justice. It's about how we relate to those who are unlike us, even when we don't agree with them Or how do I relate to God when I don't agree with God? And so today, in the first chapter, we're going to look at uh, the first two verses to get a bearing on the whole book and and the rest of this chapter. Verse 3 will give us the big idea that we're going to explore. And then verses 4 to 17 flesh out that big idea even more. So do have your outline and follow along uh, with me on the screen as well. So verse 1, 1 and 2, 3, and then 4 to 17 is where we're going. And I've just, I've just put the outline in order of questions. The first thing is, what does God actually say? What does God say? The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amati, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. So as a book, Jonah is sitting in the Old Testament in the middle of the minor prophets. The minor prophets are 12, 12 guys whose primary goal is to be the covenant enforcer covenant enforcer for Israel. It's a way of saying that to call God's people back to the covenant he made with them. Rebellion and sin it needs a prophetic voice to confront it. That's the prophet's job. That's the minor prophet's job. And that's Jonah's job too. And for Jonah, this meant a word to a city the distance of Adelaide to Sydney away. Nineveh. Go to Nineveh, God says. He's near Jerusalem. Gath Heifer is where he lives goes down to Joppa and Nineveh's pop in the other direction. It's a long way away. And God calls Nineveh great, and it is great. Located in modern-day Mosul, it had 30-metre-high walls, 1,500 siege towers around those 30-metre-high walls. It was a capital of the Assyrian Empire. It was like a doomsday bunker built on steroids, and it's still a key archaeological site today for understanding how the Assyrian Empire functioned in that day. It's great in the fullest sense of the word that you could have. But it's not a nice place to go. Jonah is to go and preach against the city. Why? Well, God says, its wickedness has come up before me. Historically, we know that Assyria was a violent nation. Nineveh was a cesspool of greed, social injustice, murder, rape, violence, depravity. And Israel, Jonah's people, had experienced firsthand that violence. To Jonah, Nineveh was the enemy, plain and simple. Think about Jonah 
like this. Clean up your fridge. There's some of my fridge contents there. But you clean up your fridge and you get all the jars and the door nicely and everything's lined up and you can see what's in there. You wipe the outsides of it. But sometimes the inside of the jam jar or the butter isn't in a good state. There's white mold growing on the inside. The cold meat's a little green and the cheese is dotted with black bits. It looks nice on the outside, but the inside, it's rotten. And at that point, you have a decision. You could, as Natasha sometimes does, pushes it back and says, I'll get someone else to clean it up, like Luke. Or you can throw it away. And this is what the Old Testament prophets are doing with their messages. They come along and they say, let's take the lids off these nice jam jars that you guys have made. You look so nice on the outside, but what is actually going on on the inside? They have a look at them, and they see that there's rotten things in people's hearts, minds, and wills. And so they confront them, their rottenness, with God's mercy and grace, because they want to evoke a faithful response to the God who's speaking. And it's good to have a judgment made about you. To have the truth exposed, the lies and all the hiding. In fact, I would think you would, you would agree with me that, that um, justice is one of the highest Australian values we have. Just think of any royal commission. Someone exposes some evil. Very soon, people seek justice and a judgment for those who have done wrong. We want someone to open the jam jars, expose how bad it is, make changes, fix it up, clean it, put it back. And we pick people like retired judges who are really well-known in law and order and have got a track record of doing the right thing to, to take, key part, take a key role in this moment. We like justice. We seek justice. It is a good thing. And like, like God, like the authorities in Australia, but with universal authority, is holding a royal commission into the evil that's come up to him about the city of Nineveh, you see? And Jonah's job is to play a key part in that. But you notice very quickly that Jonah is unique compared to the other 11 minor prophets. Firstly, is that Jonah isn't so much about opening someone else's jam jar, but God wants to twist off Jonah's lid and expose his rotten view of God's mercy. That God actually wants to twist off Jonah's lid and expose all the moldy bits inside of him and how he views God's mercy. So just look at how Jonah reacts to the second point, and you'll see that clearly. What does Jonah do in verse 3? But Jonah ran away from the Lord. This is going to happen a lot in Jonah. You expect the story to go left and it goes right, up and it goes down. You don't expect Jonah to run away, but he does. You don't expect the great storm, but there is. You don't expect him to fall asleep in the storm, but he does, and on and on it goes. You think this way, and it always goes that way. Moreover, the phrase, but the Lord, Jonah ran away from the Lord, from the Lord is mentioned twice in verse 3. And right now, we're not told why Jonah ran. Chapter 4, verse 2 will tell us, but don't look ahead. Because at this moment, we're not meant to understand why Jonah's running, only who Jonah is running from, you see? That's an important part of the whole story. It's not just the prophetic call that he's abandoning, but who's he running from? It doesn't say he's running from his prophetic call. He's running from the Lord. And obedience to God as a prophet is paramount regardless of what God says, Jonah. 
He seems to understand this when he confesses in chapter 1, verse 9, that God is the God of heaven and earth, that he worships him, but he doesn't obviously fully understand what it means to worship God because he doesn't seem to want to obey God. To put it simply, Jonah's view on God is just too thin. He'd rather have a God he can control and run from instead of following the God who made the heavens, the sea, the dry land. Just let that sink in for a moment. Jonah has a disobedience problem because Jonah has a heart problem. His disobedience problem is firstly a heart problem, manifests itself in running physically away, but he has a thin view of who God is and the character of the God that he claims to worship. He lives according to how he views God. Doesn't like God, I'll run away from God. I don't have to, you can't make me. I'm right, you're wrong. So he head, listen to all the, the action words in the next verse. He head, he went down, he found, he paid, he went aboard a ship to Tarshish. That's like saying dingo whoop whoop. <laughs> Got a dingo whoop whoop, middle of nowhere. A friend of mine ran into this same problem with parenting teenage kids. They're driving to the farm, this is only a few months back, got to the gate of the farm, as you would know, and so got to the grill so the sheep don't cross, and he said, oh, can you, daughter, can you please open the gate so we can go in? No. Can't make me, can't make me do anything. He said, oh, really? Okay. Hopped out the car and he said, when you're ready to open the gate, I'll drive the car through, but until you're ready, I'll just walk onto the house up, up the road. And so he left her in the car and he walked into the house. And that's Jonah. But if we're honest, that impulse to rebel against what someone said and and disobey, it's not only found in Jonah or wicked Nineveh or even a teenager, it's found in all of our hearts. And that's why we don't need to know why Jonah ran yet. We need to understand that disobedience is a heart problem and it reflects his view of God, not just the thing he's asked to do, you see? What God wants to show Jonah in this chapter is that you can't outrun his mercy. That's the big idea. So he runs, not wanting to preach a message of judgment to Nineveh. So as he runs, God preaches to him. Through a violent storm, pagan sailors, a great fish, all to show that God has more ways of confronting Jonah with his mercy than Jonah has for running away. No matter how far you run, God will meet us there, just like he wants Jonah to tell Nineveh. What God says, what Jonah does, well, what does God do in response to that? The story doesn't end just after Jonah says no. It's a very loud response. It's a very in-your-face response, even though God actually doesn't talk anymore till chapter 3. God's just really active in making life distressing for Jonah. It says in verse 4, then he sent a great wind on the sea. A violent storm arose that threatened the ship to break it up. Um... Storms at sea are terrible, especially in ancient days. New Zealand is the boat you can see there. They have some of the strongest ships in the world because of the Southern Ocean and the storms and the swell that they come across. And the sailors would have come across a similar storm. Terrifying. The difference, apart from that wonderful wave and that ship there, is that God throws a storm at Jonah on purpose, using the full force of creation to speak to him, to bring him back. The person who took that footage is a, 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 someone with the Na- uh, New Zealand Navy. 
And he's an experienced seaman who said it doesn't particularly bother him to go through storms like that. He knows the boat, he knows the weather, it's just part of life like that. Um, Most sailors would say the same thing, a bit of rough waves, that's just what you expect. Now these men are experienced sailors, and they are terrified. Absolutely terrified at this moment. Never witnessed anything like this. Waves, this big, violent storm, this is a great, huge storm. They're afraid, they cry out to their gods, they throw cargo overboard to lighten the ship. Jonah's gone down, he's descending further and further in rebellion. He's sleeping, the captain says, how can you sleep? Get up, call on your God, maybe, maybe your God will take notice. They even ask Jonah to help, cry to your God. But it's an interesting, interesting view the sailors have of God, isn't it? They say, maybe, maybe he'll take notice of us. You see, the dominant view of a deity at that time was that they, humans were mostly inconvenient and pitiful. And so what they and Jonah don't realize is that there is actually a God who isn't annoyed with people, who isn't too busy infighting with other gods that exist around, but, but he's actually intimately involved in their lives and is powerful too, that he would so use creation to awaken a runaway Jonah to who he is. And then they roll the dice, God-ordained outcome. They question Jonah, and he says, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. That terrified them. (laughs) You said you worship the God who made the sea, and this big storm's coming up. Whoa! The implication is, Jonah, if that's your God, you're a fool. What are you doing? You see the contrast with the sailors and Jonah? Jonah knows God's sovereign, but he's not afraid to disobey. The sailors fear God's sovereignty and are afraid that Jonah is disobeyed. Yet somehow in all of this, Jonah knows in verse 12 that it's his fault because he says, throw me in the sea and it will be calm. Interesting. Is Jonah a hero, giving up his life to save others, or does he have a death wish? What do you think? It's tricky, actually. Um, what we know at this moment is that Jonah's still running and that he desperately wants control of the situation. And so he, the storm has thrown Jonah into chaos and despair, so much so that at that moment, to run from God, jumping overboard and dying is the best way to keep on running, you see? We also know that Jonah is very cognitively aware of what's happening. He identifies and defines himself as a Hebrew, a worshipper of Yahweh God, who made the sea and the dry land. He knows the sailors are caught up in his running. And he's compassionate to them. It'll be calm when you throw me in. You see, Jonah's not a hero. God's bringing Jonah to the end of himself. Jonah would rather die than go to Nineveh run further away from God, so to speak. But he's not totally without a heart. He realizes that if he goes overboard, the sailors will be saved. He doesn't hate all Gentiles. He just doesn't like Nineveh. But he wants to spare the sailors. Can you see that we're like that too? More often walking the middle line, confessing one thing, doing another, that we have that tension in ourselves as well. Moreover, Jonah doesn't realize the truth of what he's actually said to follow the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. The sailors confess he does what he pleases, that God. It's one thing to speak about that God. It's another thing to run away from that God. 
And it's quite something else to be confronted with that God and all his power and fear him rightly. But again, this, what did the sailors ask of Jonah? Call out to your God. Does Jonah do that? No. I mean, you think, oh, yes, I should pray. Sorry, God, ran away, fix it up. I don't have to jump in the water and let's turn this boat around. We'll go to Nineveh and everything will be lovely. But that's, it's another surprise. It doesn't happen. Jonah's more like a pagan. The pagans are more like the Hebrews. Sam Chan, in the book that um, Tim shared from us, says that um, chaplains, military, hospital, school, often tell us that secular people can be very firm in their beliefs, but in a time of crisis, they look to Christian people to speak to them on behalf of God. Many years ago, I was doing youth work and I got a phone call of a woman from a non-Christian family and she had some big health issues their family was going through, called me, was talking, was in tears and I said, would you like me to pray for you? She said, yes, I'd love that, please. I prayed for her and we kept talking. She said, that was fantastic, thank you, that's what I wanted and a week later, I got a small angel thing in the post saying, really appreciate you praying for me. The sailors are like that. They're crying out to the Lord. The difference is their representative to God is lousy. They don't even ask Jonah to pray. They just cry out to God, go straight to him. They finally do what the prophet says as well. Because remember, Jonah's a prophet even if he's wonky. They hurl him overboard like a piece of cargo and then the other surprise, the raging sea does grow calm because you think, well, God's not going to listen to Jonah. He's running from him. Nope, sea goes calm. And then another storm begins inside the sailors. The fear of the storm outside gave way to fear of the storm inside of the God who controls the storm. And then they mimic temple behavior, right? They offer a sacrifice. They make vows to this God. And we don't know anything else about them. We don't know what they did. We don't know what they thought. But a shift has taken place. What did they learn? That the God who made the sea and the land is the only dependable source of hope. And then it's... I remember watching... Lord of the Rings, the last one in the cinema years ago, and you get to the end of the scene, you're in the volcano bit, and the screen kind of fades, and you think, oh, that's the end, and then it comes back up again, and you go, oh, there's more, and then it fades again, and I think three times it does this whole, you've come to the end, and there's a little bit more, and, and then you've come to the end, and there's a bit more, and then it finally ends, and the credits roll, and this is one of those moments in Jonah. You think, well, Jonah's jumped overboard, and the screen fades, and and then suddenly you hear this noise and the screen comes back and there's this big fish and, and the Hebrew word for fish is fish so it's actually a fish, not a whale and it swallows him up. You just don't expect it. The Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah and he was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights and then, boom, chapter ends. And what this whole chapter does so well is show us that every time a human takes action, 1 verse 3, 1 verse 5, Verse 13, verse 7. Every time a human does something, God frustrates their plans, right? But when God does what he wants, no one frustrates him. Again, if Jonah was thinking, I'll end my life, God had other plans for that because God doesn't want Jonah dead. He wants to chase him back to life. We see many things in chapter 1. The great city of Nineveh, the great wind, the great storm, the great sleeping of Jonah, the great fear of the sailors, the great fish... But greatest of all is God's great mercy that permeates all of this. How indeed great is God's mercy. So let's be reminded of that today 
as we close. God's great mercy. Jonah's God is the God who made the heaven, the whole sea, and the dry land. Before we know why Jonah runs, we meet the God he's running from. His sovereignty knows no bounds, in charge of all creation, in charge of all people, which means, according to Jonah, you can't escape God. Not Nineveh relishing evil, not the sailors rowing really hard to get back to land, and not Jonah running from that God. You see, God is the great missionary God, not just interested in his own people like Jonah, but the whole world, sailors, Nineveh, you, me. Moreover, this greatness of God should confront us with our own Jonah-like attitudes that we have. You might be here and confess at the start of Jonah with with verse 9, I worship the Lord. But you might also identify with Jonah's running away. You see, Jonah is this incredible book that God invites us to, to look into like a mirror who says, let me twist your own jam jar lid off for a few minutes when you read this to see where your moldy blind spots are, to see if you're running away from God's word. Maybe, maybe it sounds like this. In verse 1, the word of the Lord came to Luke, child of God. Verse 2, go and obey it, you know, go, preach to Nineveh or whoever. Accept my view on morality and, and a flourishing life and justice and mercy and creation and how whatever God says but Luke ran away from the Lord you know and and, and I'm not going to Nineveh because of COVID but you run away in your own head you run away in your own heart you run away from the responsibility you run away from, from actually being someone whom says I worship God you know what's it like I'm sure I mean, is that you? Which means, ultimately, Jonah's not the prophet we're looking for. He may expose us, he identifies with us, but he's not our saviour. And as you keep reading through the, the Old Testament, you get to the New Testament, and you realise that we're looking for a prophet who didn't just receive God's word. We're looking for a prophet who was God's word, who became God's word. Jonah was a recalcitrant prophet, but Jesus comes along, is the greater prophet who never disobeyed, who had a perfect view of God and who delighted to do God's will. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul talks about what this greater prophet Jesus has done in Romans 5, 6, 7 and 8. He says, you see, at the right time when we were still powerless, think the sailors in the storm, think Jonah unable to run, think us today, He said, well, we were so powerless. Verse 8, Christ died for the ungodly, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, the reason Jonah could steal the storm when he went overboard wasn't because Jonah was sufficient, but because the true sacrifice of Jesus covers and saves. Prophets point people to the power of God. Jonah embodied that. And Jesus was the greater sacrifice who died innocently for the guilty. The sailors say, forgive us for this innocent man. Jonah's not innocent. And the centurion at the cross, when he saw Jesus, said, surely that man was innocent, the son of God. And just as, finish with this, just as the word of the Lord came to Jonah, 
God's great word still speaks today, as God continues his great mission into the world, still using flawed jam jars like you and me, like Nineveh, God tells each of us to go in all the places that we are in the name of Jesus, declaring God's great mercy to them, how there's freedom in hearing God's opinion of you, how he came to get you back to a flourishing life under him that by the truly good prophet Jesus Christ, that as Tim was saying before, we don't need to, to, to find our own identity and purpose because we can't, it's a, it's, a, it's a false reality. But Jesus gives us the true reality and assessment because he is God, who says you can be a part of that story. He says you don't have to pretend to be perfect because Jesus was perfect. And he loves you just the way you are, but too much to keep you as you are because he wants to chase you down by his mercy, like he did Jonah, to confront and change you. And that can be your story. Is that your story? I do pray that it would be that the great God and his great mercy to us in Christ would be our story. And that we'd look at Jonah and reflect on someone very much like us and see the God who is very much the God, as verse 9 says, who made the sea and the dry land. Let's pray. Our great God... Jesus is the prophet, the word that we're looking for. He is the life, he is the truth, he is the way. And Father, in Jonah 1, we're confronted with your mercy, your great mercy, and the fact that we run away from you, even as your people. And so, Lord, forgive us. May we just be amazed at your mercy once more and your kindness to us in Christ. The greater prophet who went overboard or up on a cross to die and rise again to show us mercy. Amen.